Well, tonight we're going to be talking about how Jesus gained his disciples. And if you do not have a page of notes and you'd like to have the notes, if you raise your hand. Such an interesting study how Jesus chooses his disciples and their personalities, their backgrounds, all of these things. You know, we can only suggest what year Jesus was born. We the, the consensus conventional wisdom says he was born in 4 B.C. I tend to think that might not be true. Uh, we date that because there was a, an eclipse right at the time when Herod died. We talked before that uh, Herod uh, had to interview the wise men when they were looking for Jesus. And so obviously he could not have been dead. Um, and Josephus says that there was an eclipse right about the time that Herod died, and we know there was an eclipse in 4 BC, and that's what most people would say is the date for the birth of Jesus. Uh, but there was another eclipse in 1 BC, and that one just fits all the data better in my opinion, but that certainly is the minority opinion, and I have enough minority opinions as it is, so whatever date you want to put there is fine with me. But I'm calling it year one, in about February of year one, and you see the um, justification for that. John chapter 2, verse 13 mentions Jesus' first Passover ministry, and Passover, of course, is always March or April, uh, depending on how it falls in, in our calendar year. Um, by that time, Jesus had already been identified by John the Baptist and baptized, had been tempted in the wilderness, had gathered disciples and had worked his first public miracle at the wedding. So by the time you get to John 2, all of that has happened in John 1. We might imagine that a few weeks had elapsed by the time Jesus and his disciples come to the Passover of John chapter 2, verse 13. So perhaps Jesus was baptized in February when John's two disciples naturally became Jesus' own first disciples. So maybe we're talking about February of year 1 in Jesus' ministry, and um, it's very early on. Um, just at the start of the year. You see, we have four lists of disciples for you there in that little grid. And you can see most of them are identical, but when you come to some of the ones that I've put in bold font for you, you can see that there are some differences. So, for example, when you get all the way down by Bartholomew, then you run all the way across, and in the Gospel of John, it seems that Bartholomew is called Nathaniel. So that would throw you off if you think Bartholomew is one disciple and Nathaniel is another. Uh, apparently that's one person with two names. And then you run into Thaddeus and Levius and Judas, all the same. So we sometimes get confused, like, uh, what's that guy's name? It's Thaddeus, Judas, or Levius and Thaddeus are the same different language you know, coming across. But anyway, we have three different ways of saying Judas' name, and that's different than Judas Iscariot. And uh, we should bear in mind that there's more than one Jude. One is Thaddeus Judas, and one is Judas Iscariot. Well, and so you have the list of the disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, and then in John. And they're a little different uh, sometimes as you go. But I just wanted you to see that. Um, Notice that Andrew and John were former disciples of John the Baptist. So that's very interesting. So in John chapter 1, verse 35, again the next day John the Baptist stood and two of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and then they followed Jesus. 
So they were John the Baptist's disciples, and now they begin to follow Jesus. They become Jesus' disciples, just like that. Then Jesus turned, saw them following, said unto them, What are you looking for? They say, Rabbi, which is to be interpreted master. Where do you live? Where dwellest thou? He says unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt. They stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two, which heard John speak and followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You think, okay, that's one. Who's the other one? And throughout the Gospel of John, John never identifies himself. He always calls himself that disciple or the other disciple, or the disciple whom Jesus loved. So we think that this is John, uh, the disciple who wrote the Gospel of John, as the other follower of John the Baptist. So you have John and Andrew were following John the Baptist, and they became Jesus' disciples that day. And again, we must be in about February of the first year of Jesus' ministry. All right, so then, notice that we definitely have two sets of brothers going on here. And these two sets were fishermen and business partners together. And we know that from Luke chapter 5, verse 9. For he was astonished, Peter was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of the fish which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So you have Peter and Andrew, brothers, James and John, brothers, all fishermen, and they are partners together. So we have these fishermen, these four fishermen disciples, who are um, long-standing partners in business and now partners in the gospel. And then uh, toward the bottom of page 21, notice the many family relationships. This starts to get really interesting. So um, hold on to your hat as we try to piece some of these together. Peter and Andrew are definitely brothers. You can't go wrong there. Matthew 10, verse 2, they're sons of Jonah. Well, James and John are definitely brothers. You can't go wrong there. They're the sons of Zebedee once again from Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. Well, there's another James. James the less... And we sometimes call him James Alpheus. And Judas, not Iscariot, are apparently brothers because they're both sons of Alpheus. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 15, it says, Matthew and Thomas, and then James the son of Alpheus, and Simon called Zelotes, the zealot, and Judas the brother of James. So James is the son of Alpheus. Judas is James's brother, They must both be from Alpheus. Uh, In Acts chapter 1, verse 13, when they were come in, they went to the upper room where both Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alpheus. So there it is again. James, the son of Alpheus, Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. All right. So now we have three sets of brothers. We have Peter, Andrew, James, John, And then Judas, not Iscariot, Jude, not Iscariot, and James' brother. So we definitely have, I mean, every indication is we have three sets of brothers out of 12. That's six out of 12. But then if you look at the fourth bulleted point there, but Matthew is also the son of a man named Alphaeus. We know this from Mark chapter 2, verse 14. And as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Well, Jude is the son of Alphaeus, and James is Jude's brother, and now we find out that Matthew is also 
a son of Alphaeus. If it's the same Alphaeus, then we now have three from one family. Matthew is from that same Alphaeus family. But that's not all. Because the second to bottom bullet there, Thomas, whose name means twin, has traditionally been thought of as Matthew's twin brother. Now, we don't know absolutely for sure if that's true. There's just a tradition. And we know that his name does mean twin. But if Thomas is Matthew's twin brother, then it is possible that Matthew, son of Alphaeus, and Thomas, son of Alphaeus, go along with Jude, son of Alphaeus, and James's brother. And we have the uh, connection then of the, at least the possibility that one family, the Alphaeus family, provided four out of 12 of the original disciples of Jesus. So there are these strong family connections, a connection with John the Baptist, and you see their backgrounds then in a little different light. Now, if you turn that page over, one of the really interesting things to notice about the disciples is how diverse they are. You sometimes think, well, you know, I can't get along with a Christian brother because he's just way too different than I am. Uh, no, he's not too different. You can get along with him just fine. So notice, for example, you have a tax collector, Matthew, and you have Simon the Zealot. That's not Simon Peter. There are two Simons. And so Simon the Zealot, Zealot basically means that he was a member of the resistance movement in Israel, and they were resisting the Roman government. So this fellow, Simon the Zealot, would have been sometimes probably attending meetings in a basement. They probably didn't have basements, but you know what I mean. Attending meetings in a basement where they talked about what they could do to overthrow the Roman government. Uh, If you can imagine these little backdoor meetings where people are upset with the government of Rome, Uh, some of these people are pretty radical and they would have done terrorist acts Uh, For example, sneaking up behind a Roman soldier in the night and cutting his throat and slipping off into the shadows. So that was happening. There was a resistance movement. And a zealot like Simon might not have done that personally, but I'm pretty sure he would have known people who did, and he probably wasn't upset about it. So you have that, and then Matthew. And they're walking together. Matthew was basically a sellout to the Roman government because Matthew is collecting taxes for Rome. So he would be like the IRS guy who audits you. Uh, Not your favorite person in the world, particularly if it's an oppressive government regime. So Matthew would be considered a Roman traitor just about. You know, why, why is our Jewish brother working for the government of Rome, not only taking our money for the Roman government, but taking over and above what he's supposed to take so that he enriches himself. And people in those days, uh, Jesus had some bad words to say about the publicans, right? The publicans and the sinners. Matthew was a publican. He was a dishonest tax collector before he followed Jesus. And so we have this dishonest turncoat Roman lover, and we have Simon the Zealot, and they're all following Jesus now. You could hardly imagine 
a greater difference in backgrounds, in, in ways of thinking, in political views. And yet now they are together following Jesus. And if they can follow Jesus peacefully, I'm sure that there's no brother you'll ever meet in your whole life that you cannot get along with. Of course, by the grace of God, we can all get along. Um, another couple of individuals that are interesting to look at, the second bullet down, James and John. These fellows had an anger problem evidently because they were called uh, Bonerges, which is, you know, sons of thunder. And you don't get a name like son of thunder by being a wallflower. These guys were thunderous in their personalities. They made a lot of noise and they probably had anger management issues. And so to think James and John were thunderous in their personalities. And then John eventually becomes an old man and he writes the epistles and he says, my little children, he calls everybody little children. And, uh, you know, most people who are sons of thunder don't just become old, kind grandpa men running around calling other full-grown men my little children. You know, that's just really, really tender-hearted. And something changed in his personality. He was different. And, of course, so was James. But you can see that uh, these people had personalities that required a lot of carving by Jesus. And when they started following Jesus, the publican had to get his politics right, and the zealot had to become a peacemaker, and the angry ones had to become granddaddies, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Everybody's changing. And in Christ, that's realistic. That's, that's what this is all about. People change all the time when they start to follow Jesus. And these fellows did. Um, Nathaniel, what an interesting guy. Even though we hardly know one thing about him, we know this. John chapter 1, verse 46, Nathanael said to Jesus, uh, said to Andrew, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, Philip saith unto him, come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. That is such a compliment. Matter of fact, that's so complimentary. I remember one time I had a teacher in Bible college who said that was probably just Jesus being sarcastic. And I don't think Jesus was very often sarcastic. I think that Nathaniel must have been a truly earnest person. And Jesus said, now, here's a fellow who has no guile. He's not putting up uh, airs. He's, he's not... Um, projecting an image. He's not flattering. This guy is utterly sincere. What a nice compliment. And we don't really know anything else about Nathaniel. That's all. But one time Jesus said, this guy is as sincere as they come. An Israelite that has no deception in him. What a great, great compliment. We should all want that. And then Peter. Peter is blustery. We all know how Peter jumps in where angels fear to tread. And Thaddeus, poor guy, his name is related in Greek to the word for a female breast. So the idea is 
He's a little nursing baby. What a terrible name. What an awful, terrible name to give a little boy. How is he supposed to survive this? So you have this guy who is named the little nursing one. And you have Peter, the blustery one. And they're following Jesus side by side, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for years. Think, how did Peter ever learn to accept the nursing baby boy? And how did this fellow, the nursing one, ever get along with blustery Peter? How could they possibly do that? And the answer is, when you follow Jesus, he changes you and he makes you what he wants you to be. And the people who are too blustery become a lot more calm and, and peaceful. The people who have no courage, they get their courage. They begin to do the thing that they're called to do no matter what the cost. And everybody can get along. So those are some of the things we learned from the personalities of the disciples. They were not cookie-cutter Christians. They were rugged individuals with very different backgrounds and yet they all came together to follow Jesus, and it was a very harmonious relationship for them all. Uh, does that raise any questions or observations about the disciples and their backgrounds? You know, Luke is a latecomer to all of this. He, we don't even, we don't know very much about him, but he's not picked up until the book of Acts and um, the Macedonian call, maybe, uh, on Paul's missionary tours. But he knew a lot about all these disciples, because he is such a good journalist, he said he interviewed everybody. So Luke is a Johnny-come-lately. Most people think that he was a Gentile. Once again, I kind of don't think so, but that's the minority opinion, so carry on with He's a Gentile. Um, and so, yeah, he, he wouldn't have been around in these days, but he'll eventually make his presence felt. Joanne, that's right. It's very interesting, isn't it? And and even the diversity we have here, you know, we have people who have very little education and we have people who have a lot of education and we don't even we don't really even pay attention to it. I mean we run around calling, you know, Dr. Dorpel Mark. Hi Mark. <laughs> like there's no trick to it. We had um remember years ago we had Terry Entnire uh who became, was he an admiral when he was here? So he was an admiral, and we run around and go, hi, Terry, how you doing? <laughs> and all the people who knew him from work like, ah, we caught him Terry for. It's just, we're the family of God, you know, it doesn't matter. And that, that diversity background, it, it just doesn't matter. Um, it's like that, too, uh, with the whole ethnic thing. When you see, you know, James Arrington, you think, oh, we know we have to act differently. That's James. <laughs> no. Hi, James. You know, nothing matters. It, it's just we love each other and we're family. And the Lord just brings us together. It just simply doesn't matter. The diversity in our backgrounds, it just matters we're following Jesus. And that's great. Josiah. Amen. That's great. That's really true. Wow. You know, we're glad to have the diversity because that shows that there's something for everybody in the gospel. It's not just that you have to live this way and no other way will do. Uh, there's not just one way to, to come to Jesus. We all come from different backgrounds and you know skin colors or whatever, and it just really, really doesn't matter. 
So that's great. I mean, it doesn't matter in the sense of love. It does matter in the sense that it shows that there's something for everybody in the discipleship of, of our Savior, which is so great. Notice that all the disciples are from Galilee except Judas, and he is from Kerioth, which is in Judea. So all the rest are from Galilee, which is really interesting, again, because, you know, Jerusalem is the capital, and these people aren't from Jerusalem. It's a good little drive. Uh, even now, if you go on the highway system, it's a good little drive from Galilee to Jerusalem. May, or maybe I would say uh, it's been a while since I did it, but what do you think? Maybe three hours. It was a long trip. So, you know, up there in Galilee, that's not... The old saying was, if you want to be wise, you live in Judea. If you want to be rich, you live in Galilee. Uh, so Judea, that's where the scholarship was. And none of these fellows are from Judea. They're all from Galilee. And uh, with one exception, Judas. And uh, that's the unfortunate exception in a lot of ways. Notice how their callings to discipleship come in stages from part-time to full-time. So according to John 1, you know, we've just opened the Gospel of John. We're on the first page. According to John 1, after following Jesus part-time from the first day they met him, the big four, fishermen disciples, went from part-time to full-time ministry a short time later, perhaps in the summer, plus minus, after Jesus' February baptism, plus minus. You know, we're just guessing. But when you come to Luke chapter 5, you find that those who have already been following Jesus are now going to follow him full-time. So if they started following Jesus in February, they're not following him full-time until some months later, perhaps in the summer. So Luke 5, uh, you know about the the fishing. Uh, he got in one of the boats. Um, Jesus taught them. Uh, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon said, we toiled all night and that's not going to work. Nevertheless, at your word, they do it. And then you have the great catch of fish filled both the boats. They began to sink. When Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me from a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all that were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were their partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men so when they had brought their boats to land they forsook all and followed him so they had already been following him they've been following him since february and so much has happened by the time you get to luke 5 so much has happened and now they're going to follow him some more we think they're going from part-time discipleship to full-time discipleship and so you should just bear in mind that they follow jesus in stages uh, from part-time to full-time especially for the big four peter andrew james and john and then we have uh, records of the first disciples, the first three, and the next two, and Matthew, and then that's all. So you think, when did they all start? We don't really know. We know about the first three. Andrew, another disciple, right, whom we take to be John, and Peter. We know about that. That's from John chapter 1. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. One was Andrew. The other one was the unmentionable disciple in the Gospel of John, uh, presumably 
John himself. Andrew, it says in verse 41, he found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So two of them were John the Baptist's followers, right? Um, John, not mentioned, and Andrew, who is mentioned, and Andrew goes and gets Peter, and now we have three. So we know how he got the first three. We know how we get the next two. Because John 1, 43 says, following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and told Philip, follow me. And Philip then found Nathaniel. And we have the Nathaniel story. So we have Peter and Andrew and John. And we have Philip being called by Jesus and Philip inviting Nathaniel, bringing Nathaniel to Jesus. So we know about those five. We know about Matthew. So... Matthew was called to follow Jesus in Mark 2.13. And he didn't follow Jesus full time or perhaps even at all until Jesus had already called the fishermen full time and had preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, which is going to take a little bit of time. And finally, perhaps well into the summer, Matthew is going to follow Jesus. So they didn't all start at the same time. Uh, Matthew did not start with Andrew and Peter and John, and he didn't even get going until after the big four were already following full-time. So Matthew is not at all, you know, in the first few months, evidently, of Jesus' ministry. So that's how the disciples are called you think, oh, what about the others? Because, you know, you're counting for about six. That leaves six others. Like, well, we actually don't know. We don't know anything about their stories. What made them think to follow Jesus? We just don't know. But the ones that we do know about are very interesting because you can see how they have been captured by the Lord. And then once they're captured, they tell others. And on we go uh, with the ministry of Jesus. Um, some people have been not a little encouraged to know that even Jesus had really only 12 disciples who followed him really, really well in the early days, you know, months of work. And of course, later on, we'll read about 70 disciples And in the upper room after the resurrection, 120 disciples. But 120 is not all that impressive, you know. Uh, And I'm sure there were 120 in Jerusalem, but there must have been many more in Galilee. But still, it's, it's kind of a small group. And sometimes we get discouraged because we're not making a big splash for the Lord. But maybe it's okay. In many cases... Jesus didn't have so many followers himself. If he didn't, where does that leave foot soldiers like you and me? So I wouldn't worry so much about how many you have. Um, I love the work of Andreas Ray, the missionary that we support. Uh, Andreas, we'll try to bring him here again sometime. It's just so expensive. Andreas is a very quiet guy. When I was over in St. Petersburg, and he's not there anymore, uh, they moved back to Austria as their headquarters uh, because since things had changed in the whole you know, Russian area, it, it was no longer to his advantage to live there. 
But I went to the church that he had been leading, pastoring, for a long time. I don't know how long, but a lot of years. And we went upstairs. And it was just a little room with a little piano. We set up folding chairs. It was just a little group. And he had been there a long time. And yet, it's very strange. People from all over Eastern Europe were helping him in his ministry, grading the correspondence courses. They send out correspondence courses from Emmaus Bible College. And they go to crazy places, places that have uh, reindeer, you know, real reindeer. And these people live in temporary shelters and move from place to place in Siberia. And if you can just imagine in some kind of a crazy home arrangement, no bathroom or kitchen or anything like that. It's just almost like an exotic tent. Those people are in there filling out correspondence courses. They don't even have post offices. They have to have things delivered periodically back and forth to civilization. And they're in there filling out these correspondence courses. Of course, so many of them didn't know anything about the Christian faith. And they become Christians. And then they keep getting more courses. And they're learning all about the Lord. And he's doing this all over the place. So you think, well, here's Andreas. He's not really accomplishing much in this little St. Petersburg upper room church. And he's doing a great job. He's not making a big splash, but it's, it's a very impressive little job. And in some ways, I'm sure bigger than any of us ever know. But uh, I wouldn't worry about that if I were you. The Lord didn't have 5,000 disciples. That wasn't what he did. He had a little handful, and, and he was okay with that. And maybe you shouldn't be so impressed by numbers either. I love the little poem at the bottom. Um, he said, come follow. That was all. Earth's joys grew dim. I rose and followed him. He said, come follow. That was all. Will you not follow when you hear him call? And that's just what it comes to. The Lord was so powerful that he would say, come follow me to Philip. And Philip would say, okay. And come follow me to Philip to Matthew. Matthew leaves the tax collecting booth. Okay, I'll follow you. Just like that. He said, come follow. That was all. Earth's joys grew dim. I rose and followed him. And that's what you and I have done. The Lord has called us. We stood up and we started to follow. And that's where we are today.